Scripture reading is based on Psalm 91. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, or the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. We've been making our way these last uh, few weeks through Luke's gospel, looking at a number of uh, parables mainly. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, a parable in the first part of chapter 16, and, and this week I invite you to look at the end of chapter 16, beginning with verse 19. So our scripture reading from the New Testament comes from Luke 16, and it begins with verse 19. And whether we read along or whether we simply listen, I invite you to open your lives to this word from God. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things? But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, last week on Wednesday night there was a meeting downstairs in the French church social hall and the room was filled. 
every chair was taken, people were standing all around the, the perimeter of the room, and I remember because of that crowd that it felt uh, hot and, and, and stuffy. And, and maybe I was the only one who felt that way, uh, maybe I was feeling that way because the topic for the evening was money. A couple of tax attorneys and uh, a couple of financial advisors were making presentations. This was not a church-related event, by the way, uh, though there were a few people from uh, IPC in attendance. And uh, as the presenter spoke, the, the room became very still and very serious. People were leaning in to uh, hear this vital information. Uh, the people making presentations were not, uh, and I don't mean this uh, in a critical way, uh, they were not skilled speakers and they were fumbling around with their PowerPoint presentations, but none of that mattered because they were talking about a subject that all of us cared about a great deal. As you can imagine, there was advice given about taxes and investments and wills and, and, and divorce and a bunch of other related topics, and if you are really interested in what they said, ask me, I took extensive notes. Uh, the thing is, I, I do not like money. Well, that's not exactly true. I, I, I do like money, uh, uh, but I do not like to talk about money. When people talk about money, uh, I find that I become very anxious. My heart rate ticks up a bit, and I find myself perspiring. And uh, on Wednesday night, for example, I started to hear about uh, the fines uh, that the Swiss government could impose if I failed to file a certain form, and I didn't know I was supposed to file that form, and no one told me, and... And so I went home that night on the train wondering where the $10,000 was going to come from that I would have to uh, you know, come up with for this fine. And, and the fine could be considerably more, we were told, if, if we intentionally did not file that, that form. And I, mean, I was a wreck, uh, panicking and, and sweating. And I don't know if I am alone in this, even in a city where banking and, and financial services uh, are so very important, uh, many of us have a, a complicated relationship with money, right? Uh, even those of us who work with it all the time. Uh, in, in many cases, our feelings about money go all the way back to our childhoods and, and, and what we learned about money from our parents and the, the circumstances at that time. I mean, I don't think I have ever met anyone, not a single person, whose relationship with, with money was simple and straightforward and uncomplicated. I mean, do you know anyone like that? Maybe you do, but uh, there can't be very many. In a church I served previously, just to give an, an extreme but telling example, there was a, a woman whose husband had developed a very popular software. And I, I may have told this story before, uh, and I, if I did, I, it's because I, it's had a powerful effect on me uh, he was not a member of the church, the husband was not, but she was quite active, and if I mention the name of the software, most of you will recognize it, and, and many of you undoubtedly uh, use it. Well, one of the larger software companies in the U.S., I think it was Adobe, uh, uh, purchased uh, this software, and so in a single day, uh, this couple uh, became worth several hundred million dollars. Uh, now, you might think that would have been an occasion of great joy, uh, that it would have been a cause for celebration, and, and you might be expe expecting that I would tell you about the party that I attended, and I would have attended had there been a party. But the truth is, there were no parties, and, and, and there were no celebrations, and, and there wasn't much joy either. And if there was joy, it was very short-lived. Right? Uh, 
Instead, there was a lot of anxiety. A little at first, but it, it, it grew quickly into what I would call a, a, a mental health crisis. My lives were turned upside down, and it, it, it was only after a few very difficult years when I began to hear some good questions being asked, like, if this is a gift from God, and it doesn't feel like a gift from God, but if it is a gift, how can I use it to honor Him? Thanks be to God, it took a long time to get there. One of the main reasons I, I never buy lottery tickets, and this may uh, disappoint some of you who might be hoping for a better answer from your pastor, <laughs> uh, but one of the main reasons I don't buy lottery tickets is that I, I, I don't think winning would make me a better person. Right? And sorry to say, there's a very good chance that winning would make me a much worse person. A few studies, may, and Maybe more should be done about this, but a few studies have been done about the effects of, of winning that, the lottery, and, and those studies make for depressing reading. I encourage you to Google it sometime. Bankruptcy within five years, that, I mean, a third of all lottery winners find themselves bankrupt within five years. Right? And then uh, estrangement from family and friends, that's almost inevitable. It begins almost immediately. Uh, divorce, uh, higher incidence of alcohol and, and, and drug use, uh, uh, suicide. These are the typical outcomes of winning the lottery. Last week in preparation for today, I, I read the scripture reading. Uh, we heard from Luke chapter 16, and as I do often when I uh, approach a text uh, as a way of, uh, you know, in preparation for preaching about it, I try to examine my own heart. So I thought, do I have any strong feelings about this subject? Uh, do I need to acknowledge a bias here or a prejudice? Uh, I mean, how has this subject really affected me? And at first I thought, well, there's no problem. I'm good. <laughs> Money doesn't affect me. I wonder what there's going to be to say on Sunday. And at that moment, and it hit me rather quickly, I realized that I was in complete denial one of the reasons Jesus spent so much time talking about money, and I mean, Luke's gospel never stops talking about it, uh, but it's not just Luke's gospel. There are over 3,000 references in all of Scripture to this subject. I mean, one of the reasons Jesus spent so much time on this subject is that you and I are so conflicted about it. And it gets in the way of a healthy life, and I would say it gets in the way of a healthy spiritual life. We may like to say that we don't have a problem with money or you know, that we're indifferent uh, to it. Uh, we can take it or leave it. But the truth is, very often, the, the truth is, is that we like it very much. And, and, and we not only like it, but we love it. And we love all the things it can do for us. And when we don't have enough, we worry about not having enough and how we're going to pay for all of the, the, the things that seem so terribly important to us. And, and even when we do have enough, have you noticed, I, I, it never feels like enough. And, and so, of course, we want more, but I, we're never sure how much is enough. My parents grew up during the, the Great Depression, the 1930s. And in the U.S., not only, and I think in, in much of the world, not all of it, but in much of the world, uh, the 1930s were a time of crisis. And I, I think that my parents, like so many people of their generation, 
lived their entire lives and, and made every single financial decision based on that life experience. It was, it was that formative to them. And so I, I, I'm wondering if you have taken time to reflect on the, the, the factors that shape your thinking about money. And if you haven't done it, you should. It would be enlightening, it, it would be helpful to you for lots and lots of reasons. Well, let's spend some time this morning with this parable in, in Luke chapter 16 about uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, what I usually say at this point in the sermon uh, when I preach about Jesus' teaching is that Jesus can be very hard to understand. Uh, I usually say that he, he would leave crowds scratching their heads and, and wondering what, what in the world he meant and that sometimes later in the day he would get the disciples together and explain to them more clearly what, what he had in mind. Well, lack of clarity is not a problem with this parable. In fact, its meaning is all too clear. And if this parable does not leave you feeling somewhat uncomfortable, then you've missed something. And you should go back and read it again. You may not be feeling all that wealthy this morning. Uh, you may not be anxious about your financial situation, but that does not change the fact right, that, that we are among the rich in the world. You and I. That's not an accusation. That's the truth. We all know people who have uh, more than we do, and that will always be true. I mean, we will always know people who have uh, more than we do, but compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. And this parable is addressed to us. It is meant to get our attention, and, and, and Jesus treats the subject uh, as though it has more urgency than anything else in the world. In the home group study questions this week, I, I wrote that uh, no one in all of Jesus' uh, parables receives a name except for the man in this parable. And then I waited all week for someone to call <laughs> and let me know that I was wrong about that, that there is an exception to, to that rule. Uh, but no call came. And I was relieved. Right? Uh, I felt relieved after having made such a bold claim. Jesus never gave a name to anyone in all of his parables, but he gave a name to the poor man here in this story, and his name was Lazarus. And why is that significant? Well, I, I, I think this name speaks volumes to us. The, the poor too often are for us a, a, a category, a statistical category. We, we like to think about the poor in the abstract, and, and we fail to think of them as mothers and fathers and, and sons and daughters, and, and, and so we prefer to think of them as data to be managed and, and you know, political policy problems to be solved. But Jesus, and, and I think this is very important, Jesus will have none of that. The poor man in this story is called Lazarus, and that means he had a mother and a father who gave him that name. And though he lived a wretched life, Jesus' description is painfully vivid, don't you think? Even though the circumstances of his life were dreadful, he had a name. He was a child of God. And after his death, he was carried by the angels to, to Abraham's bosom, and it's a way of saying that he was given a place of honor and a place of rest. Uh, by the way, and I, I think this is an important uh, point to remember, uh, 
Jesus nowhere glamorizes poverty. To be poor doesn't make you better than anyone else. Your opinions don't count for more because you're poor. Just as being rich doesn't make you better or worse than anyone. Now it's important to acknowledge that Jesus sometimes did speak critically of the rich. Sorry about that. He was not a big fan of of wealthy people, even though he was a frequent dinner guest in the homes of of wealthy people. Two chapters after this uh, parable, this is in in Luke chapter 18, although the same words are found, basically the same words in in, uh, Matthew and Mark, uh, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And and some interpreters have said, well, you know, there must have been a gate in, in Jerusalem. Uh, called the Camel Gate. Right? No. No such gate exists. Right? Jesus meant what he said. But, but the rich man in today's parable does not find himself in hell because he was rich. His sin was not his wealth, and I, I hope you see that. His sin was not that he lived well or or, or that he enjoyed the finer things in life, although it's true that Jesus seems to enjoy uh, mentioning the, the, those fine things that, that he enjoyed. But the rich man is not suffering the, the torments of hell because he enjoyed himself in this life. And if that were true, we would all be in trouble. Uh, I found a sermon this week by uh, Martin Luther, the great 16th century German reformer, and it was written about the same parable, and I think I'll just read this sentence uh, from his sermon. This gospel text, Luther writes, does not accuse the rich man of adultery or murder or robbery or violence or having done anything that the world would censure. Yea, he has been as honorable and respectable in this life as that Pharisee who fasted twice a week and was not as other men. So I I, I ask you, what, what was the problem? Well, what landed the rich man in hell, just to be blunt about it, was his utter lack of empathy. His total disregard for anyone but himself. His selfishness. It's not that he, he lived well. It's that he took no notice of the man who was living at his gate and eating out of his dumpster. At any time during his life, he could have reached out in compassion, but apparently he did not. James Forbes is an African-American preacher, and for many years he was pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City, and anyone, anyone who's ever heard him preach will never forget the experience. And in his prime, he was really quite remarkable. Well, one of his more remarkable statements, and I think he'll always be remembered for this one, though there may be a couple of others, one of his most remarkable statements was this, nobody gets into heaven without a letter of reference from the poor. And what he meant by that, uh, I think, is that if we show up at, at, at heaven's door with degrees and certificates and, and uh, you know, achievements from prestigious institutions, uh, we will quickly discover that we have all the wrong credentials. Uh, the only credential that matters, Forbes was saying, and I think Jesus means to say this to us as well, is our treatment of the poor. And if that sounds shocking to you and if you think I might have that wrong and I, you know, if you wish I would go back and do a little bit more Bible study about that, 
Uh, I want to direct your attention to another place in the Gospels where Jesus describes the last judgment. This is the time where the Son of Man returns in all of his glory and his, his angels are uh, arrayed before him. And at that moment, the story tells us, he, he divides the, the sheep and the goats. And then Jesus turns to the sheep and, and he says, Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the sheep on the, the, the right hand will, will answer him and, and say, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and, and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you and, or, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we, you were sick and in prison and we visited you? And the Son of Man will answer them, Truly I tell you, Just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. I wish I had chosen this text on a day when we were receiving a major mission offering. <laughs> but maybe it's just as well that there is no special offering today. No mission emphasis beyond the Sean and Andrew Goodman's presence with us. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the big moments and, and, and as the fall moves along, there are going to be some big moments and special offerings and so on. But this teaching is not about big offerings. This is about our day-to-day -day lives. And, and, and this is about day-to-day, hour-by-hour attitudes toward the people around us. If we who are rich can learn to live our lives with compassion and empathy, if we can learn to live more for others and less for ourselves, if we can forget ourselves long enough to notice the needs of the world, then these are the words we are going to hear at the end of our lives. Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Lord, there are times when we read your word to us in Scripture and, and we are left in, in silence. There is nothing to say. And we feel convicted and, and we are reduced to silence and, and, and so we say, what, what can we do? And what we ask for this morning more than anything is a changed heart. Where our hearts have grown hard and cold and unfeeling, we pray that you will open them and warm them and help us to notice the world around us. We who have been given much have been asked to share much. Teach us that today we pray in Christ's name.